Because I think it's hard for newcomers to wrap their heads around that there's a disease component. And it's not just that we're terrible, immoral people. I try to share that, you know, alcoholism is just part of my DNA. You know, I've got curly hair, I've got sweaty feet, and I've got alcoholism, right? And it's just how I came out. And I've got to deal with the curly hair and the sweaty feet and the alcoholism, you know, not always what I wanted, but what I got. And so you got to do with what you got. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. That was the voice of Miss Denise B that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you will be hearing so much more from her in just a moment. But first things first, this episode The one that you have your little bit of ears tuned into right now, this one is brought to you by Dan and Ella and Lauren. You know what they did, Dan, Ella, and Lauren? They went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the Donate tab, the little yellow Donate tab, and they made a contribution. Thank you so much, Dan and Ella and Lauren. This episode is coming right out to you guys as normal or as usual, I should say. We are going to let all the other folks listen in with us, if that's all right with you. But this episode is dedicated to you. All right, folks. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this particular meeting between meetings. And I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you who are listening in. All right. So I started to record this a few hours ago, but uh, for whatever reason, my head was just not straight. And one of the things that always helps me is exercise when I can't quite get my head in the place that I wanted to be. So I went out and I did a yoga class and now I am back here in studio, which basically means in my microphone in my bedroom, but I am back here in studio and we are recording this introduction. Uh, I've had a a busy week, a fruitful week, a lot of stuff going on at work. Uh, My daughter went to her home coming dance this week. Uh, and it was so, oh, just, uh, fulfilling. 
Uh, I don't know what know, know the words to describe it, but to see your daughter dressed up like that uh, and going to a dance, looking all grown up, it's uh, both uh, exhilarating and a little bit sad at the same time because uh, all parents have been through this. To watch your kids move in a direction uh, away from you is is a good thing. It's a healthy thing, but sometimes it can be bittersweet. And my son is actually getting prepared to do a big play at his uh, school this week. And so we've had that going on as well. But nonetheless, um, what do we have going on here? Oh, yeah, we're going to have a big shindig again. Uh, we're going to have Sober Speak live again. And, and I don't know yet, but I'm going to try to make this a quarterly event. And uh, this one is coming up on December 6th. That's a Friday night, and it's a 6.30 p.m. to 8 o'clock p.m. at Grace Avenue United Methodist Church in Frisco, Texas. And if you have not had a chance to listen to Brenda J., who will be appearing or, or be the, the main guest, I, sh- I guess you, says, you would say, at the event on December 6th. She is on episodes number five, zero and nine, zero. And I would highly recommend going and listen to her, listening to her. Uh, even if you are not planning on going to the event, uh, uh, she is just a dynamo. Come be with us, please, ladies and gentlemen, for an evening of light, love, and laughter. We will be addressing four major topics with Brenda. We may go off script a little every once in a while, but the topics are grief, forgiveness, compassion, and grace. I'll say those again. Grief, forgiveness, compassion, and grace. And what four topics could be better than to have those right around the holidays? We will spend... eh, about 15 minutes or so on each topic. And if you were in the secret Facebook group, we're going to be posting a, uh, how do I put this? Well, we will be posting in the Facebook group and letting you uh, put your questions out there that you would like me to ask Miss Brenda during our time together on December 6th. If you're not in the secret Facebook group, by the way, if you want to be, send me an email or send me your email associated with your Facebook account to John, J-O-H-N, soberspeak.com. And if you just want, if you don't want to join the Facebook group and you want to send me uh, some questions regarding those particular subjects, send me the questions to John at soberspeak.com and I will put those in the hat. For those of you who are available to come and you're in the North Texas area, I would love to see you. Please keep in mind that free child care is available for those who need it. The event, there's no charge for the event. I do pass the basket at the end uh, to help cover some expenses. If you want to pitch in, great. If not, no big whoop whatsoever. We will also at this event be having live music from Miss Wendy child. She is just off the charts, talented. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy her music. So I'm featuring some of her music uh, lately on the podcast. And so let me tell you how that came about. So I was traveling for 
work a few weeks ago. I was kind of worn out and uh, I was in an airport and I plopped myself down in the airport to have a, a cup of coffee. Uh, and I usually travel with these noise canceling headphones and I actually had those on. And, and I, I, I listened to other podcasts when I travel and I was sitting down and I was watching the scenery go by and it occurred to me that Wendy Child has music on Spotify. So, so I fired up her Spotify channel. I literally just melted away into the music inside that busy airport. And, and I was having my own little party, if you will, inside my, inside my head. And so I immediately reached out to Wendy and I asked her if she would mind if I featured some of her music on the podcast. And I was pleasantly surprised that she agreed. And once again, she's an amazing talent. We're lucky to have her at our Sober Speak Live events. And uh, so here I am going to play for you a little taste of one of her songs called Love Me Anyway. I'll play the entire song at the end of this episode after listener feedback. But keep in mind, if you want to meet her in person, you can also come down to our live event. So here's just a little taste of one of Wendy's songs. But I'm tired of I just absolutely love her music. And uh, I will put a link to Windy Child Music in the episode notes or the show notes as they're sometimes called. And once again, I'm going to be featuring many of her songs over the next couple of months on the podcast. All right, now on to Miss Denise B. She is absolutely hilarious. Forgive my giggling and laughing as we go through this entire episode. Uh, we discussed the third step prayer. We talk about her cat in the hat story uh, while she was, um, it involves reading to her son and trying to spend some quality time with him. Uh, I won't spoil that for you. Uh, we talk about her family and experiencing some difficulties when they moved to Texas and how she worked through that difficult period. We talk about miracles in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous from her perspective and without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Miss Denise B. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Miss Denise B. And uh, Denise, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, and give your sobriety date if you so wish to do so. 
Excellent. Um, My name is Denise B. And my sobriety date is December 15th, 2003. 2003. So uh, that's a little while now. So you're coming up on how many years? I'm 16 now. Wow. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Time flies. It sure does. (laughs) Okay, so uh, I asked Denise if she could bring something or would like to read something at the beginning of this uh, episode today. And if there was anything that was in particular that was special to her, and she picked out page 63 of the big book. And I'm going to go ahead and let you read that, Denise. All right. And I chose this because my first meeting was a third step meeting. And so the third step prayer is always pretty important to me. So uh, this is the third step from how it works. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Amen. So obviously, it's important to you because you went into your first meeting and that was the subject and such, but talk to me a little bit more about the third step. What what meaning does it have to you, uh, and what part has that prayer played in your sobriety? Well, the when I first got sober, um, I my regular attendance, my I had a, a standard meeting that I went to every week, and it was a Sunday morning, seven thirty a.m. meeting, and I did not realize at the time that that was a third step meeting, and they read either out of the big book or the twelve and twelve each and every week, the third step. And I thought maybe all AA was for the first few months was like about the third step. (laughs) But what it really did is gave me a really good foundation because I felt like that was ingrained in me, kind of like, um, you know, addition and subtraction when you're in elementary school, like you can't get to division or your times tables until you master the fundamentals. And I feel like the third step is a pretty basic fundamental. And so as as soon as I realized that I, you know, um, had to give my will and my life over to a higher power, it really made it simple, not simple, a little bit easier um, for me to incorporate the rest of the steps um, into my life on a regular basis. Love it. All right. So let's talk a little bit how you uh, pronounced the word God when you first started here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of <laughs> dovetails into where you were born, where you're from, where you were raised. Why don't you talk about the state you're from? Um, I am from New Jersey. Joycey. Joycey girl. <laughs> were you off a particular exit in Joycey? Um, exit four. Okay. That's right off the, uh, yeah, right off the turnpike. So um, that's where I am. Exit four off the Jersey turnpike, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And my um, first home group was the Morning Glory group in Haddonfield, New Jersey. Morning Glory. Morning Glory. I thought that the name came because we had early morning meetings every day. And we also had beautiful flowers, the Morning Glory flowers on that street. But apparently it was the name of a prostitute who worked in um, (laughs) Haddonfield. Her name was Glory. And when the guys would come into our meeting, they would say, Morning, Glory. And she'd say, morning, boys. And <laughs> I found that out at an anniversary party once. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I thought it was about the flower, but it wasn't. <laughs> 
focus. So you, so you were, so how did you make your way from Joyzy mm-hmm. down here to y'all in Texas? Um, my husband was transferred here for work. And so I was seven years sober at the time. And um, he just said, Hey, if I want this, if I want to keep my job, we got to go. And um, I did a lot of um, like, we we really had hard decisions to make because our kids, uh, it was really going to be impactful for our kids. And so um, I contacted my sponsor and I did a lot of prayer and I thought, you know, and then one time I was at my regular meeting and a guy sat in front of me in Jersey with a t-shirt from a conference in San Antonio, Texas. And I just thought, well, maybe that, maybe that's the final, like, trust me, Denise, that's where you're supposed to go. Not San Antonio, but Texas. (laughs) So that's that. So you ended up here. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your, okay, so let me put it this way. When did you first start to realize that you, excuse me, that you had a problem with alcohol? Was it a particular point in time? Was there an evolution that went behind it? Talk to me about that. Uh, I was always a heavy drinker from day one. Um, my mom diagnosed me as an alcoholic when I was about 13. So that was really annoying. Um, <laughs> so what do you mean your mom diagnosed you as an alcoholic? Um, so my mom, um, she caught me drunk quite a few times when I was uh, young. And she said, you know, you know, I think you have a drinking problem. And I was just like, I'm 13 years old or 14. You know, how could I have a drinking problem? I'm too young. And so I just chalked it up to parents being a little bit like not in touch with what real life is. <laughs> and then <laughs> you um, know how parents are, you know how parents are. <laughs> and so but the pro- progression got worse, you know, and there were periods of time where I could maybe not drink as often or as much, but eventually it always went back to heavy, heavy drinking and blackout drinking. And, um, to the point where, you know, I was getting into some, some serious trouble and I had two little boys. And so I was, you know, um, a mom of a five and seven year old, you know, drinking pretty heavily on a regular basis. Wow. Yeah. So how old were you at the when you were, you know, five and seven year olds with your I was children? Thirty three. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So there was that thirteen where your mom declared you an alcoholic. Uh-huh. Buzzkill. <laughs> <laughs> Buzzkill. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then you got to 33 years. So there was 20 years uh, of heavy drinking, it yep. looks like, in that time. So there sure would, did your mom have some sort of, I guess, uh, inclination of what alcoholism was? Was it or like present in the family or something that made her think that? Um, well, my dad um, was an alcoholic, and they were married for three years, um, so just long enough to have two kids. And then um, they divorced when my mom was 26 years old. And so she raised us, my brother and myself. When my dad left, I was two, and my brother was four months. And she, um, I think, had experienced some of the wrath of his alcoholism. But um, eventually, my mom became a drug and alcohol counselor. And so when you're actively drinking as a teenager, and your mother's studying to be a counselor to, 
you know, be a therapist for people that have that problem. I was convinced that she just wanted to, you know, test out her homework on me. (laughs) But um, yeah, so she had some level of education around that. I just didn't believe her at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now it makes sense. All right. So, so can you somehow give me a thumbnail sketch of from 13 to 33? And uh, obviously, it sounds like you got married in that at that point. I sure did. Um, Yeah, drank a lot in high school, um, got into a lot of trouble, went to a Catholic high school. Um, We Every first Friday of the month, we went into school, um, would go to mass in the auditorium, and then were dismissed by noon. I'm not sure there might be some religious significance to that, but I don't know what it is. (laughs) And then we would party at my house because my mom was a single parent. She worked full time. She went to school at night. I mean, she was a busy lady. And, you know, the rest of the, we had an empty house. And so um, I invited, you know, 80 of my closest friends <laughs> to first Friday, you know, at, uh, at my house. And so, you know, quarter kegs first Friday every month. Yeah, until we finally got caught by the police. And then we all had to go to mandatory alcohol education class oh, no. in um, high school on, um, I think it was like a holy day of obligation and everybody else got off. But everybody that was at my party was required to go to alcohol education class. <laughs> and I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, self-knowledge avails us nothing. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot. And then I went off to college, and um, I picked my college. It was this little teeny tiny school out in um, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, right where the Amish are. <laughs> um, but I went because the day I visited, there were people all over campus outside drinking and having fun, and it had very little to do with what majors they offered or what kind of academic curriculum it was. It was like, this looks like really fun. And so that was my criteria for picking my school. <laughs> and um, there I met my husband, who is not an alcoholic, um, but has had to, you know, be with me and um, all of our ups and downs for the past several decades. And for whatever reason, he was attracted to you. Yeah. Well, I, although he was older than I was, we were still underage. And so I had a fake ID. So I got him and all of his friends alcohol. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. A marriage made in heaven or a, a match ma- made in match heaven. Made in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. I have heard you tell a story before mm-hmm. in meetings about, I guess this was toward the end, but I know there was something to do with a fireplace and a Dr. Seuss book, mm-hmm. I think something like that. Could you kind of go over that? Sure. So um, I was newly sober, um, I would say within two months of getting sober, and so a little raw emotionally. <laughs> And um, my five-year-old and I were home. Um, My other uh, son was in, I guess, kindergarten, I guess. And uh, my five-year-old, or maybe first grade. So I was home with my youngest. And um, I really always just wanted to be such a great mom, like even actively drinking. Like I really tried to be a good mom, even though um, I I was drinking quite a bit. And so I thought, we are going to have quality 
bonding time right now, me and Matt on the couch. And so I am going to read and we are going to, we're going to read a book together and we are going to, you know, do good things like normal moms and sons do. And Matt was five and didn't feel like reading at the time and was climbing all over and wanted to play Spider-Man. And, and I was getting annoyed because I was trying so hard to be this good mom and read one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. And I finally got so annoyed because he wasn't sitting still and enjoying the quality time that I was now bestowing on him <laughs> that I picked up and threw the book into the fireplace. And then he sat on the couch and he cried. Yeah. No. That's, that's a, that's like two months over. <laughs> but this is, this is real. Life. This is, yeah. This is real. This is what new sobriety feels like. Stark raving sober. <laughs> a little raw. A little you, raw. A little raw. <laughs> Okay, so how did you end up finding AA? How did you know about it? How did, was there some connection? What happened there? Um, well, my mom was a huge fan of um, always reminding us all that there were 12-step programs out there. And in fact, for a while, I was convinced that my mom might have been addicted to 12-step programs because she has been in a 12-step program probably... Um, she had been in a 12-step program for about, I don't, I don't know how long, but a significant amount of time. And then she would find out, you know, a little bit more about herself and then join another 12-step program and find out a little bit more about herself and then join another 12-step program. <laughs> and so when she kept talking about 12-step programs, it really left kind of a bad taste in my mouth. And then, I mean, I remember coming home from college on Christmas break and coming downstairs on Christmas morning. And my mom would be in the dining room with somebody from, you know, that she met at her 12-step program that didn't have any place to go on Christmas. And she would like make her breakfast and they would have like a nice little mini meeting there. And I came downstairs and I was like, what the hell? Like, you know, it's my Christmas. Why are we dragging in all these people off the street, you know? And so um, that's how I approached that really giving and loving way that my mother nurtures <laughs> the people in her life. <laughs> So she reminded me quite a bit. And so um, I knew my drinking was um, getting a little out of control. But it, 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 I've always drank a lot. So it was kind of hard to know when it was the drinking, like if it was the drinking, if it was just me. And so but I kind of knew that like when a person in the grocery store wouldn't smile at me that I knew in my neighborhood or say hello I would go home and like cry for two hours. And I realized that that is not a normal reaction <laughs> that most people have. Like if someone just blows you off in the grocery store. Right. And I just felt so sensitive. Like everything hurt my feelings, everything. And, um, you know, if my kids didn't say like, you know, I love you 20 times a day, I was like, do you know how hard I do to be, be your mother? You know, like it was just insane. And so I went to a counselor, a therapist, and um, I told the therapist, you know, I'm a slightly, you know, worried a little bit about my drinking. And so she said, you know, I want you to write down this questionnaire and write how much you drink. And I like cut it down to like a third because you really can't. <laughs> right. Like tell them what it really is. Right. And then um when she read the clipboard, like the intake, I guess, she got to that point and she said, Oh my, that's quite a bit. <laughs> and I was like, There's even more than that. So um so that was and the therapist suggested that I try AA. And so this was another person in my life who I was not related to that said this might be 
a good thing to think about. Hmm. And so did you go immediately or how um, did you get there? My her, my first assignment for my therapist was to try some controlled drinking. <laughs> and so she said, I want you to just try to stick to four, you know, over this next t- time period and see how you do. Which and is that, interesting because, you know, that's in the book. It sure is. Well, they say two, but yeah. yeah she but, was nice. Right. <laughs> she gave you a little leeway there. Yeah. So I couldn't um, do that controlled drinking very well. So, um, and then I was so out of it that I missed my next appointment with her. And I think she charges you when you don't call, you know, in advance. And then I had a resentment that I had to pay this woman because I just forgot to go. And then, um, so then I went to my first AA meeting, 7.30, morning glory. Morning glory. Morning glory. (laughs) (laughs) Which had nothing to do with With the the flower. Okay, so so you get to your seven thirty morning glory meeting. Yes, and they um, in that particular meeting they would have laminated um, you know sheets, and each of the twelve steps were listed on one sheet. And so as people came in, some random person would like give you a step. And so when they um, read how it works. When it got to your number, you would kind of like stand up and read your step and then sit sit down. So like you had 12 different voices in the room. And, you know, here it is my first meeting and someone handed me step six. And I, I just kept reading it over and over going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Right. And then finally, somebody came up to me and said, hi, you know, are you new? And I was like, yes, I am so desperately new. And they're like, we're going to take this from you, right? And I was like, thank you, because I don't know what that means. And um, and that woman ended up being my first sponsor. Oh, Yeah. Was what great. was her name? Her name was Jill. Jill? Yeah, and she was um, a pharmacist. And so it was great, because whenever I had medication questions, I could always um, call her. And she... Um, you know, and I, what I really appreciated because I was so, I felt so much shame and I didn't want to say um, I was an alcoholic because I just felt like that was too much. And so she asked me, she said, So do you think you might have a problem with your drinking? And like that was kind of safe enough for me to say, Yeah, I think I might have a problem with my drinking, but I don't think I'm an alcoholic. And she was like, Okay, you know, and then just sit down. So she ended up. I ended up working my first 12 steps with her and her best friend, Biker Penny. Biker Penny? Biker Penny. (laughs) Penny was a Harley girl, leather pants, and she was married to Richard and they wore and they rode Harleys. And that's where I got my first, um, my first step study was with Jill and Biker Penny. (laughs) (laughs) And it was awesome. I learned a lot. Oh, that's great. Yeah. All right, so let me go ahead and read this, and uh, then we'll continue. We'll be continuing our conversation with Denise B. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the yellow donate button on our website if you wish to use it, and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the least, li- the, 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 the listeners. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right. Now, back to Miss Denise. And uh, all right, so you 
have gotten to your first meeting. Uh, you've gone through a step study with your sponsor and biker Penny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to ask you also about this. I've heard you describe yourself this way before, and I absolutely loved it. I think you said something about having curly hair, et cetera. Can you, dis- can you tell people how you describe yourself? Yeah. I'll, so whenever we talk about, um, the physical part of the addiction and, um, and the allergy. I, I think um, when I share in meetings, um, I try to make a little bit of it um, because I think it's hard for newcomers to wrap their heads around that there's a, there's a disease component and it's not just that we're terrible, immoral people. Um, and so I try to share that, you know, alcoholism is just part of my DNA. You know, I've got curly hair, I've got sweaty feet, and I've got alcoholism, right? <laughs> and it's just how I came out. And I've got to deal with the curly hair and the sweaty feet and the alcoholism. And so, you know, not always what I wanted, but what I got. And so you got to do with what you got. You got curly hair, which, by the way, is very beautiful. Well, thank you. If you use the right products. So... <laughs> But that's all. That's it, right? You got to use the right tools to help you out with like what God gave you. <laughs> You've got curly feet. Excuse me, yeah. not curly feet. Curly hair. Curly hair. Sweaty feet. Sweaty feet. And alcohol. I sure do. This what? That's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. All right, so so let's get back on track here. So talk about sponsorship a little bit. I, I know you. First of all, you talked about your first sponsor. Mm-hmm. And I think you've had other sponsors throughout your career in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I know you've been a sponsor. So talk about some of your experiences within that realm. So um, I've only had two sponsors in Alcohol- Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been sober 16 years. So I had Jill and then um, in Jersey. And then I tried to maintain a relationship with her while I moved to Texas and um, she could kind of hear through our phone conversations that she, someone needed to have eyes on me, that it was not, um, the virtual sponsorship wasn't going very well because I was having a really hard time and there were, my kids were having a really, really hard time. And how long had you been sober when you came down to Texas? Seven years. So it was around, you know, I guess close to my eight year and, um, sobriety birthday. And she's like, you really need to to get somebody in Texas. And I thought, well, um, let me ask somebody. So um, I asked somebody to be my temporary sponsor because I wasn't sure how long I was going to be in Texas because things were not going very well. And so I thought, I don't want to like have someone fully commit because I might only be here for a little while. <laughs> and so um, I asked a woman who I just really respected and heard and shared in meetings. And I thought that she had a really good program and a strong message. Um, and it was really interesting because I didn't know her backstory at all. I just heard her share in meetings and I, I liked what she had to say. Um, and then when we had our first kind of face-to-face meeting, she um, asked me a little bit about myself and I was sharing how I was going through all this stuff with my family. Um, my, my oldest son did not do well acclimating. He moved, we moved him in the smack dab in the middle of his freshman year of high school. 
So he had gone from his first semester in high school in New Jersey. We picked up over Christmas and moved to Texas. Mm. And so he had been here um, the rest of the year, but he was really not um, acclimating very well at all. And I could, it was, I think, a little bit more than just the teenage angst. Um, I think that there was, um, he was becoming depressed and we were getting a little frightened um, about his emotional state. And so I was in the point of trying to make a decision about what we were going to do as a family. And it was a really hard decision to make. And you say that decision was the decision whether to go back or not? Yeah. So there was the decision to, do we just pick up and go back? Do we leave my husband here? Do I go back with the kids? Do we let um, Nick go back and we stay here? It was a really, really hard. And my husband was in this really stressful um, position and traveled, you know, 99% of the time. So here we moved to this state where we don't know anybody and he's gone the whole time. And I'm dealing with these two kids that are just in a lot of emotional pain. And my support network is back in New Jersey. So I, I went to the Frisco 12 o'clock meeting almost every day. Um, but I did not plug in as much as I probably should have. I could have made a little bit more effort, but I didn't and said it was much easier to say, well, no one asked me out for coffee. You know what I mean? No one's really very welcoming here. And so it was a way to kind of validate that like things weren't working, even though I didn't really take a look at that fourth column about what I was doing. Um, and so here I was sharing with my, you know, brand new sponsor that we were getting very close to the fact that um, we ended up allowing my oldest son at 14 to go back to New Jersey and live with um, his best friend's family on a temporary basis. And then actually my mom um, was willing to move in with him in his school district for the rest of his high school. And, um, and so I was feeling like this horrible parent and that I had this broken family and that normal moms and dads don't let their kids leave and I was just a mess, a mess. And I, um, it was really hard and it was really hard on my youngest son too. And, um, cause he's like, you know, dad's never here. My older brother's gone and I'm stuck with, you know, crazy mom, you know what I mean? So that was hard. And so then my sponsor shared her story um, with me, and she also has a very non-traditional family dynamic that um, I thought most people in Texas would kind of get ruffled about. But um, it was such a comfort to me to know that she had this non-traditional family dynamic that went against the grain from a lot of people called normal. And turned out to be completely happy and content in sobriety and have a really good relationship with all of her family members. And like that felt like a God thing to me because I didn't know the backstory before I asked her. And so here were these two women who were just trying to be good moms and, um, and doing it in a way that kind of looked a little bit warped to the rest of the world, you know? Oh, you have me kind of, uh, Tearing up there. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's definitely a God thing for sure. Right. 
Ah, oh, today's. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here you are in sobriety. Uh, you're going through these particular dynamics with your family. Uh, and, and I also wanted to talk a little bit about sponsorship in terms of how you sponsor people and, and what you what you think is important. And, and one other thing. Mm-hmm. I have people, I don't know exactly what to do when they write to me. And it turns out it's mainly women, not always women, but it turns out to be mainly women who write in to me either on Instagram or through email or whatever. And they say, I'm trying to pick a sponsor. I'm having a really hard time picking a sponsor. I can't find the person that needs to be my sponsor. Uh, And then they'll hear, you know, stories on this podcast of people who have found good sponsors. So two things, talk about how you sponsor women. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, how do you go about knowing that you have the right person to sponsor you? Well, I kind of, when in my prayer and meditation in the morning, I really feel like if I'm turning my will and my life over to the care to God, the right person will come in my, in my path. And then until I hear no, like, I just assume that's the right decision, (laughs) you know? And so there, um, you know, and it's not to say that all sponsor relationships are perfect. They're not, but there's never been an instance where I have felt like, um, I am not getting what I need or the right direction. Very often, I feel like I'm getting direction that I do not want. That's very different, you know. And so I kind of didn't look for the perfect sponsor. I kind of looked for God, open my eyes, put the person in front of me that you want me to have, and trust that it was going to happen. And I've heard people say to me, hey, you know, I don't know, like, you know, I need um, a mother who is used to being at home that has a master's degree. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, my first sponsor, you know, I was married Catholic and had two little kids. And my first sponsor was Jewish, middle age, like, you know what I mean? And single. And it worked out just fine, (laughs) you know, just fine. And so it was really about um, someone who... I know I have the right sponsor of that person's work in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous ah. and that they, not that their life is not crazy because their crazy happens to people, you know, sometimes without their control, but they are accepting and at peace and are trying to do the next right thing in the midst of the crazy. And that's how I feel like I, as long as that's going on, I feel like I have the right type of person. And, um, you know, I think I'm kind of, a lot of people, um, they look at sponsors and, and I think it gets mingled with that whole, because we're so needy when we come in. I mean, I remember wanting to crawl in at the step study at Biker Penny's house and my sponsor was sitting next to me and I was like, I just wish I could crawl into her lap and have her like pet my hair. <laughs> Cause I was just like, I just need someone to nurture and coddle me. Like, you know what I mean? I was just so broken. And, um, and a lot of women are like, Hey, are we going to go to the movies? And I was like, no, no, we are not like, you know, and, and I have a really kind of firm boundary about, you know, I'm not your friend. I'm your sponsor. And if you want friends, that's great. There's a lot of great women here to be friends with. Um, But I do not want to be your friend. And you probably don't want to be mine. You know, you really probably don't. So, um, but I'll tell you, one of the best pieces of advice that my sponsor in Texas ever gave me when I was hurting so bad, she said, you need to sponsor someone. 
And I said, I can't sponsor someone. I'm like trying not to lose my crap every day. Like I am trying to stay on the beam and it is taking every piece of effort to not lose my crap, you know, and I'm going to two meetings a day. I am praying and meditating. I am like really trying to work hard at not picking up a drink or not being a terrible human being. And I was going through so much at that time. I was like, I can't take on somebody else's crap. And she said, you actually really need to take on someone else's crap. Right. And so lucky me, <laughs> I I got some really great women that, you know, asked me to sponsor them. And um, they are complicated. <laughs> and I am very, very blessed to have them in my life, for sure. <laughs> okay, so... What would you say is the best piece of counsel, the best piece of advice, whatever you want to call it, that you have ever been provided in Alcoholics Anonymous? Well, there's kind of the standard stuff that we kind of always say, um, but sometimes we say it so often it feels a little rote, like, okay, do the steps, go to the meeting, get a sponsor, get a service commitment. Like, I feel like I could... So that's always good advice. <laughs> um, and that's probably, if you don't do that, the rest of the advice really won't work. But um, the advice that I think that I got, the best advice outside of that is two things. Denise, what people um, think about you is none of your business. And so that was really hard because I thought it was my business to make sure I understood how people thought about me. And, um, so that was helpful. And also that sometimes people aren't doing it to you. They're just doing it. And very often when people would act out or kind of misbehave or hurt my feelings, or I would think, why are they doing this to me? Like I always had relation to myself and other people's behavior. And very often like they're just in a bad spot and I just happen to be on the outside and it has very little if anything, to do with me most of the time. Yeah. And I would also kind of add on to that. Generally speaking, if they're doing it to you, they're doing it to other people as well. Right. So making it so, you know, kind of that whole victim mentality, which I didn't realize I had until I did my first fourth step. So talk about your first fourth step. My first fourth step I was instructed on how to do it in Biker Penny's living room. <laughs> and um, my it was over the summer, and my kids were home from school, and we would go to the local pool every day. And they would, and this is the pool where I used to pack the cooler full of canned beer because you couldn't have glass inside the pool. <laughs> and so, um, and then I found other moms that appreciated drinking during the day, day drinking while your kids are swimming. It's really classy. And um, yeah, so we would like wheel in the coolers and um, the kids would play in the pool. And then, um, but this summer, right, I can't bring in my cooler. So I bring in my big book and my spiral notebook. And while the kids are swimming in the pool, um, I spend that summer doing a really thorough fourth step. Probably not the whole summer, but a good portion of it. And, um, and there was one corner in the, 
in the area of the community pool where they would put the people that smoked because people didn't smoke anymore. And of course, I was newly sober, so I couldn't stop smoking. And so I sat in that corner, um, like where the bugs and the leaves were, um, <laughs> in my swimsuit and my Marlboro lights and my spiral notebook while everybody else was playing in the pool. And I wrote out a fourth step. And that fourth column, when I saw the pattern around the low self-esteem and the and the playing the victim and all that kind of stuff. I had no idea that my whole sense of self was um, really related to what I thought you thought about me. Mm. And um, it was a pretty eye-opening and really humbling experience to think that I had no idea when you know, when we read that part in the third step about selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. And um, and I remember I, I said at in Biker Penny's living room, I am not selfish. Like, you know, I am a stay-at-home mom. I gave up my career for my children, you know, <laughs> and my husband's never home and I do everything. I even take out the trash. I do all the boy jobs, you know, and... <laughs> And like, all I do is give and give and give and everybody else just takes and takes and takes. And, and I said, I'm not selfish. And like, they laughed in this <laughs> living room in New Jersey. And I thought, what a bunch of witches, you know what I mean? <laughs> Laughing at me because I'm in pain. And I had no idea that, you know, self-pity and, um, and playing the victim is just as selfish as going out and, you know, stealing from somebody. <sighs> If not more so, right? Do you remember your fifth step? Yeah, my um, I was so mortified because I thought I can't believe I'm going to have to tell somebody all this stuff. And so Jill and I went to a Starbucks, and you know I'm thorough, so I spent the whole summer at the pool. <laughs> I had a three ring binder of you know fourth step to go through. I mean at least forty pages, and I thought she's never going to talk to me again once I tell her what's going on here. And she actually fell asleep while I was giving her my fifth step. <laughs> and so, obviously, it really wasn't that bad. <laughs> like, I bored her to death. <laughs> but we had two, yeah, we had to do it in two Starbucks uh, meetings because it was just so much. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and it was funny. The things that I thought she's going to say, oh, gosh, like, you know, something's really wrong with you, were the things that she didn't think were any more heinous than normal people have. And then the things that I thought were, oh, you know, I just put this down, but but it's a real little thing. Those are the things that she would say, can you go back and read that again? Mm. And I would say, oh, yeah, but it's not a big deal. And she's like, yeah, the, I know you're focusing on the action. I'm focusing on the motive. Mm -hmm. And she said, the motive is a big deal. And so I was just like, oh. So, yeah, it was pretty enlightening. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about my fifth step as well with my sponsor. And I remember going back to him a couple years later and referencing one of the big ticket items on my fifth step. Yeah. So you remember when we talked about such things? He goes, uh, no, no, I don't. I don't can you remind me? Yeah. And I'm like, you don't remember that? Yeah. Because it's really important. <laughs> yeah. And my sponsor, when I was reading my fifth step, she had one of those um, purple pens with like a troll head on the top yeah. <laughs> and 
she was writing down the character defects that were like the themes that she was hearing. And so after the end of the fifth step, she put her troll pen down (laughs) and gave me this list. And I still have it in purple ink of like, these are like the top 10 character defects that you might want to take into your seventh and eighth step. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I still have it. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Talked about prayer meditation a little bit. So um, how I started off my prayer and meditation was not exactly like kind of the yoga spiritual way that most people I think have. Um, I started off with like ranting to God, you know, and cursing and screaming and yelling. And um, you were mad about something then. Yeah, I was mad that I was an alcoholic. You know, I was mad that like, you, you have know, sweaty feet, you I have, have curly sweaty feet, hair. I have curly hair, my dad left, like, what the hell, you know, and, um, and I just felt like I deserved to have m- more in my life that would make me happy, not realizing that I was responsible for my happiness. And I was responsible for my life. You know, it wasn't God's fault, you know. Um, And so um, there were a lot of people that say, like, you can't curse at God. And I was like, well, God doesn't really get offended like we do. Like, he, I think he can take it. (laughs) And so I was okay with that because my higher power is like, whatever, you know. If you need to say the F word, you need to say the F word, but um, doesn't take it personally. (laughs) And then I had a long commute to work. um, And so I would start my prayer because I didn't have the third step prayer memorized yet. So when as I did, as I created my own prayer based on my lovely character defects. And so as I was driving to work during the day, um, I would say, please help me see your will because sometimes... I can't even see it. And then um, I would ask him to uh, help me um, control my reactions because self-control was always the thing that I had the worst component about. Mm. And so, um, and yeah, help me control my reactions was probably my biggest uh, prayer in the beginning. And then... um, And then Jill would make me say in the morning, you know, please keep me sober. Thank you, God, at night. And then I would say, but I don't really mean it. Like, I really kind of don't want to stay sober today, even though I want to stay sober today. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd rather be drunk all day and just not get in trouble. (laughs) And, you know, or hurt anyone. Correct. And and then at the end of the night where I felt like I white-knuckled it all day and it was just an agonizing pain and uncomfortableness to say thank you for that felt like a little inauthentic. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I feel like I'm lying. And she said, that's okay. Say say it anyway. (laughs) And I said, all right. That's what I did. (laughs) So that's what it sounded like in the beginning. (laughs) That's great. All right. Time has flown. Mm -hmm. Anything else that you want to say before we wrap up? I just think that... um, this is an amazing program. I mean, it really is miraculous. And sometimes when you're in it every day and you're going to the same meetings and you see the same people and, um, but when you step back, there was actually a time that where we thought we might actually have to move back to New Jersey last year. Actually, my husband was there for a year. He, I lived here and he lived there because work stuff. 
And here, all I wanted for the first three or four years when I was in Texas was to go back. And then while I was sitting in meetings in the Frisco group and thinking, I might have to go back based on his job. And I was like, I am really going to miss these people. Like, you know, and I was thinking, how did I build this network around me of all these Southern people and really like them? Like, I never thought it would happen, but it did. Yeah, it's a miraculous, miraculous, wonderful program. And it brought me back to God. And so I'm very grateful. And we love you too, Denise. And we're glad that brought you, Mm. we're glad that God brought you Mm. and your family down to Texas. And uh, oh man, what a blessing you are. Mm. Absolutely love your sense of humor. I'm sure you can tell. Mm. All right. So I'm going to read a little something from the book here to close us out. This is page. 164 of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny May God bless you and keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Thanks again for joining me, Denise. As Denise said, this program is indeed miraculous. There is a sign posted on the wall of many AA rooms that says, Expect a Miracle. And as we always say, don't leave before the miracle happens. Thank you so much, Miss Denise, for sharing your story. And I am so glad that God graced you with us in the state of Texas. Thanks for coming down from New Jersey. We love you. All right. Now on to a little bit of listener feedback, listener de la feedback. Fernando post in our secret Facebook group. He says, happy 24 hours. I can't do this by myself. Grateful for having Sober Speak podcast to get me going. So much wisdom and AA experience. The past two episodes accumulate decades of sobriety. My story is no different than yours. Alcohol gradually monopolized my life and took it over like a virus. The suffering is now transformed in hope, and my mind and heart are transitioning into a more peaceful setting. As long as I don't have the first sip, everything will be fine. As long as I love myself more, everything will be fine. If I look to a connection with a higher power, it begins, and therefore, my brain stops running wild. I have learned to say no to people in situations, and that is life-saving. All in all, I am not any more the man I was, and for that, I thank our fellowship. My sobriety, to a great extent, depends upon yours. Nobody deserves more credit than AA for keeping me away from what it was like and it was killing me slowly. I would like to remember my deceased sponsor, Santiago. In a very AA smart way, he never gave up on me. 
Why this small open letter? The answer is why not? Wishing you all a fantastic week ahead, Fernando. Thank you, Fernando, for posting that in the secret Facebook group. And here's another posting from the super secret Facebook group. And this is from our, I call him daily reflections guy. I don't know what really else to call him. He posts uh, daily or at least four or five times a week post in there. Uh, His name is Steve R. Here's something he posted. It says, I knew, and this is from page 42 of the big book, for those of you reading along at home, you can pause your device here now and find page 42 of the big book. And he says, I knew from the moment that I had an alcoholic mind, I saw the willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. I never had been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. Page 42. And then Steve goes on to write after that. This is his own words. He says, we real alcoholics have an alcoholic mind. That, quote, strange and mental blank spot sometimes hides us from the truth about our drinking that it causes real problems, that we can't stop once we start, and that without spiritual help and daily work, we might encounter a, quote, strange mental blank spot, unquote, and forget we can drink safely. Help one, save two, happy Friday, just the way he always signs off there. So my question to you is, have you experienced that strange mental blank spot? Most of you who are listening to this probably have, and I hope that you will consider that strange mental blank spot if indeed you are thinking about going back out there again. All right, Blair writes in, and Blair is from North Carolina. She says, well, I'm from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Got sober at 27. Grateful I wasn't part of the 27-year-old club. I am married with a four-year-old son and working in my dream career as a realtor. All gifts of recovery. Never in a million years would I ever think my life would be so good. I remember my first time hearing, quote, the promises, unquote, thinking I would never have those things. Now, when I hear them, it's like a checklist coming true over the course of my sobriety when I reflect over my life after coming into AA. I found Sober Speak on transition on the Transitions Daily website. I've listened to almost one hundred of almost all of your one hundred podcasts. I can relate to all of them. They are my meeting between meetings. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb. Laugh out loud. I figure it's about time I joined the secret Facebook group. Thank you for your service, and we got her in that secret Facebook group. I'm glad to see you in there, Blair. All right. Johnny writes in. He says, Hey there, John. Thank you so much for what you do. I live in Chicago, but I'm from Boston and the city is still very much part of my identity. I'm a guy who was ordered to go to AA from age 17 and have never been far from it all my life. Though to be clear, I'm 68 
days clean and sober. I had a relapse after five plus years, which was absolutely horrific. You know, I have never had anybody write me in yet, Johnny, and said, you know, I am so darn glad that I went back out there and tied one on again. It was the best thing I could have done for myself. Now, maybe we'll get one of those someday. But anyway, he said, I didn't think I was going to get back. In the first few weeks of regaining my foothold in recovery, it was a time I wasn't sleeping at all. I discovered your podcast. It was a blessing. I especially enjoyed Gary Kay, and I've listened to his talks multiple times. If you could please share with him my gratitude, which I did, you and he helped me get through the darkest place I've ever been. I'm not being overly dramatic here. Suicide was looking inevitable even though I knew there was another way to live, exclamation point. I would be happy to share more with you, but I'm pretty worn out, tired, and I need to go to bed. Will you go to bed there, uh, Mr. Johnny? Um, And I will tell you this, I operated three sober houses, ran meetings in those houses, etc., and I relapsed. I was not taking care of my own alcoholism, wasn't committed to actively living on an other-centered life. I was heading for disaster long before I actually relapsed. So very, very thankful that I'm back in the middle of this wonderful life. I'm sponsored by a man who lives the the principles of a 12-step way of life. I'm sponsoring myself I'm sponsoring again myself. Oh gosh, I misread that, didn't I? And so on. I would really enjoy staying connected to you if possible. Be well, John. In true gratitude, your new friend, Johnny. Well, thank you, my new friend, Johnny. I do appreciate it. And uh, as you know, I wrote you back and you can write in at any time you would like, my friend. Vanessa writes in and she says, firstly, John, thank you for your podcast channel, Sober Speak. It has certainly given me experience, strength, and hope in between real life meetings. And I'm very grateful I came across this podcast. I would like to join the Facebook group if possible. Well, of course that is possible, Miss Vanessa. She says, I'm from Australia and I'm two years and one month sober today. All right, Ms. Vanessa, I have sober friends who attend uh, meetings on a regular basis, and as well, they enjoy Sober Speak as well. We laugh, cry, and chat about different episodes listed, and it's fantastic to have not only real-life meetings, but sometimes available, have them to listen to in the car. After a long day at work and everything else in between, have a fab day, mate, from Vanessa, Central Coast of NSW, Australia. I don't know what NSW stands for. I'm going to assume that is uh, North Southwest, but who knows? But thank you so much, Vanessa, for writing in. By the way, we have a wonderful woman named Nicole that attends meetings at the place where I attend meetings here in Texas. And one time after the meeting, I went up to her and I said, hello, Nicole. Thank you for sharing today. I really did enjoy it. And she said, that's not an Australian accent. That's a British accent. (laughs) 
<laughs> I said, I'm so sorry. You know, they are very close, but I'm going to have to get this down. Obviously, my accents are not up to par. Uh, but anyway, Toll writes in, T-O-L, Toll. I'm assuming you pronounce that toll. It could be tall. Uh, it could be, who knows? But anyways, he says, he says, I'm a banker in Amarillo, Texas, and I have a wife for 10 years this Tuesday and two boys, five and three. My life almost ended a few times since I've been a dad. Oh my goodness. On top of the many times before, I went to rehab in 07 and got off the, prescrip the prescription drugs that were killing me along with the alcohol. I never really planned on quitting booze. I thought I could handle it. We all know how that goes. Yes, we do. I dodged AA for many years because I thought it was weird, but I've never been felt better and closer to God than, than my entire life. By far, three exclamation points, life is so great without the poison. So here I am now, last drink in May of 2019. Long way to go, but I finally have zero desire, thanks to AA and to God. Someone in our group mentioned your podcast, and that's how I found you. Thanks again, Tull. Well, you know what? It is so great to know that people in the groups are mentioning this. Once again, I never mean this to be a, a replacement to meetings, but you know, I'm hearing this from Toll and Amarillo. I heard it from uh, Vanessa in Australia, and that is so cool to me to think that you guys are out there in the meetings in Amarillo, in Australia, sitting around talking about these episodes, and I couldn't feel better about it because what I'm hoping for when I bring people in like Gary Kay and like all the other guests that I have is that you somehow will gain something out of it and you can take that back and share it with the people in the meetings and that everyone can benefit from that because I know I am so grateful that I get to sit here in meetings with all these people that all of you cannot be exposed to. And it's just, oh, it just makes my heart filled with joy. And I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you, Tull. Edie writes in, and I'm assuming it's Eddie, not Edie, E-D-I-E. -E, and she says, please add me to your secret Facebook John, you get me through some of the worst days at my job. I'm an Al-Anon member. Oh, that's so great. And enjoy all the stories and receive so many life lessons listening to your podcast. Many blessings to you and your family, Edie. Well, Edie, thank you again for writing in. I'm so glad we have so many Al-Anon members listening into this. That, my friends, does it for this week. I am going to close it out. My number one saying, keep coming back. It works if you work it. But we're going to close it out with another, with another song from Miss Wendy Child. I'll probably be back next week. But until then, enjoy this tune from Miss Wendy Child and have a wonderful rest of your week. Close your eyes and count to ten 
Love me anyway.